Hey everyone, I'm Kalila Reynolds and welcome to another live edition of Taking Stock where we bring you all the latest business news and of course we tell you how it will affect you and your money. Now, I want to remind you to head over to the website kalilareynolds.com slash newsletter. You can also click the link in the bio, just open it in a new tab. It's a very easy subscription. You're going to get that newsletter to your inbox. I don't even know how many times a week now. We started out at twice. Now we're at about probably four or five times a week. So remember to hit the like button as well. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't done it yet. And let me know where you are joining us from. I want to know in the comments what part of the country and what part of the world you are watching Taking Stock from. Now here's a look at what's coming up in tonight's show, followed by what's hot in business. And come on, let's get this money. Online technology company One-on-One -on -One Educational oh. Services is reporting a 96% increase in net profits for the six-month period ending February 2023, compared with the previous year. Wow! Does Yuna, their AI assistant, have something to do with their increased revenue? We'll find out from One-on-One -on -One CEO Ricardo Allen. And the analysts weigh on the latest market developments. Nuts for the Express third quarter results are out. How did they perform? And internationally, sales of homes in the U.S. fell last month amid volatility in mortgage rates. We'll discuss. But first, here's What's Hot, brought to you by JMMB Group, your best interest at heart. Jamaica's inflation rate for March fell to its lowest level in nearly two years. Prices for March went up 6.2% compared with February 7.8%. Inflation now stands just outside the Bank of Jamaica's target range of 4 to 6%. According to the Statistical Institute of Jamaica, a decline in the costs of gasoline, electricity, water and sewage help offset an increase in the price of some food products and restaurant meals. Between February to March, electricity prices fell 4.2%, while petrol prices dropped 1.4%. Statin noted that dry weather conditions contributed to a 2.5% increase in the cost of agricultural produce, such as cabbage and Irish potato. The Jamaica Public Service Company says customers have saved some $5.5 billion since it introduced liquefied natural gas in 2016. JPS introduced LNG into the power generation mix after a $22 million US dollar conversion of its plant in Bogue, St. James. The utility provider said that even with the increased prices due to the Russia-Ukraine war, the country has benefited from the natural gas contract. Millions of Facebook users could be eligible for a share of a 725 million US dollar privacy settlement. Users who had a Facebook account from May 2007 to the end of last year can apply for compensation for having their information leaked. The settlement leads back to a 2018 revelation that data firm Cambridge Analytica, which ties to political strategist Steve Bannon, had paid a Facebook app developer for access to the personal information of about 87 million users of the social media platform. That data was then allegedly used to target U.S. voters during the 2016 presidential campaign, which resulted in Donald Trump's election. It's not clear how much money individual users will receive. Reportedly, the larger the number of 
people submitting valid claims, the smaller each payment will be. Users can submit their claims through an online form or print it out and mail it. BuzzFeed's stock price took a nosedive last week following news that it will be shutting down its award-winning news division. The digital media company said it will be laying off around 15% of its workforce, or 180 employees. The company said that while layoffs will be occurring across nearly every division, it cannot afford to continue funding BuzzFeed News as a standalone organization. BuzzFeed News won the Pulitzer Prize in 2021 for its coverage of China's treatment of Muslims in the country. The stock's price has fallen 42% since the news broke. What's Hot was brought to you by JMMB Group, your best interest at heart. This segment of Taking Stock is brought to you by Bulwark Insurance Agency, insurance made easy. Just two hours with me can change your life, but don't take it from me. Why I decided to buy Kalila's Masterclass, which is for me, it was a game changer. I'm Kalila Reynolds, financial journalist and educator, and I'm on a mission to help you get better with money. Take my all-new Money Mission Masterclass. We're talking about budgeting. My top things today were about budgeting and investing. We're kicking bad debt out the door. And also learn about how to pay off your credit card debt. And I'm giving you the keys to wealth creation by helping you getting started with investing. This masterclass helped me to start my own investment journey. I had so many takeaways. The way that I look at money now and saving, I, don't, I look at it different now. With a bonus module from Keisha Bailey, my girl, the profit jump starter, who'll show you how to find great companies to invest in. I've been in the investing industry now for over 18 years. So give yourself the best gift. Go to kalilareynolds.com slash masterclass to join the money mission. Let's get this money. All right, welcome back. Let me see where you guys are joining us from this week. We start with Navardo, who says, let's get this money. I will not be at the back of the class this week. Welcome to the front of the class, Navardo. Kish says he's waiting. Nessa says, haven't watched live in a while. So great to have you on live, Nessa. Lavar is always with us live. He says, good night, moneymakers. Checking in from Mandeville. Drop a like on your way in. Adrian says, all right, let's get this money. Roger wants to get this money as well, all the way in Kingston, Jamaica. Errol says, love is in the air. Love? Okay, okay. Lan says, here and ready. Lamtree says, Staking, taking stock, the best since sliced bread. So big up everybody who is on the early warm, who is with us, who was waiting from before 8 o'clock. I appreciate you guys who are just, you know, always there. So we have a lot to talk about this evening. One-on-one uh, -on -one educational services is reporting almost double profits from the year before. So this is for the six-month period ending February 2023 compared to the previous year. And we want to know, does their new AI assistant, Una, have something to do with this increase? we got to talk about AI, especially in education. There is a lot going on. Chat GPT, Google's Bard. What does all of this mean? One-on-one -on -one CEO Ricardo Allen and Chief Technical Officer Dr. Ricardo Anderson join us now. Wait, two Ricardos, Ricardo and Ricardo. Hi, thank you. Hi. How are you? 
<laughs> I am good. So how do you guys differentiate in the office? He's that. He's that. I'm recovered. Absolutely. Okay. That makes things a whole lot easier because I would be calling you guys both Ricardo and you both answer. Uh, it doesn't quite work like that. All right, so we definitely, we definitely want to get into those numbers as your six months profits have doubled, but the three months profits, not as great. So we're going to get into those. But first, I want to have a discussion about AI in education because in Jamaica, one-on-one -on -one intends to lead the way. Am I right? Absolutely. Okay, so first let's set the stage about what one-on-one -on -one intends to do with AI in education <laughs> using UNA and perhaps other methods as well. No, for sure. Uh, I could start out and, and Doc could uh, come in uh, when, when he chooses. Now, when we started our company, Kalila, about 10 years ago, it was 2013, our business plan was very simple. It was to personalize education using the power of the most advanced technology that we saw at the time, which was the power of artificial intelligence. Now, 10 years ago, AI was far behind where it is now, and, but we had a vision that this would be a transformational technology, and we felt that it could really assist us in giving a more personalized, individualized type of uh, knowledge transfer or education. And, you know, we're not just talking about uh, for, from a student's standpoint, the ability to understand uh, where a student gaps are and to provide knowledge to that student in a human-like form that allows that student to understand down to the very details. We're talking about just about every aspect of the education system, including teachers and students. And so we saw an opportunity. Uh, at the time, the technology was a little primitive, uh, but developing. And now, as you know, last year, there's a massive explosion. We're talking about large language models such as ChatGPT. Some of your viewers uh, may, may know about ChatGPT. And there are many others. And what that has done, Kalila, it has now put us 10 years now into our plan. It has brought our plans forward, I would say, by at least three to five years where we now have the foundational elements that will allow us to bring about some of these use cases and introduce them um, to the education system. So many things are planned. Uh, Dr. Anderson can give you a, a more descriptive view as to some of the ideas without giving too much because we do plan to make some announcements in Q3 and we don't want to preempt those. Wow. So, so did this explosion in AI like kind of catch you guys off guard with chat GPT, BARD, everything going on? You have a whole bunch of AI coming on board now. Well, I wouldn't say we were caught off guard because, you know, uh, that's what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm, I'm an, an, an AI person. That's what I do research and development in. And so I've been following the research. But it was instructive that uh, when the breakthrough was announced, that uh, it became available. And, and that availability would have allowed us to access and use it. And so instead of starting from scratch, we can now add our own novelty. We can do things that are more specific to our environment. We can build out the solutions that are going to be more useful in our educational sector and to leverage uh, all that we have in terms of expertise with those technologies to make sure that we can optimize our own, uh, ensuring that the student learning process is, is better than it is and, and to help with, with improving the outcomes. 
So is one-on-one -on -one focused more on the teacher side or on the student side? Uh, we're building out an ecosystem of, of tools that will enhance the entire educational process. Specifically so, where AI is concerned, I mean. Right. So, so on both, both sides, right? So we want to enhance both sides. We want to focus on personalized learning. We want to allow students to learn at their own pace, but also with the assistance of a teacher integrated in that process with tools and techniques that also allow the teachers to be able to improve on the way they work so that they can spend more time doing the higher order task, right? Or be that additional, uh, you know, ad that addition to the technology that is going to now enrich the process of teaching and learning. So it will impact both. Okay, so I had to ask that because this AI in education is fairly controversial. So us who are, you know, early adopters, we love the technology, great. But there are a lot of people who think this is going to make both our students and our teachers lazy. Ricardo, I saw you, what, about two weeks ago at the JTA conference, uh, not JTA, it was... Um, JTC, the Teachers Council Conference, and you were on stage telling that audience of young teachers in training about this AI that one-on-one -on -one is developing and how it's going to help them with their lesson plans. And I was in the audience, and there were some older teachers sitting near around me, and they were kissing them teeth like, the teacher's going to get lazy now, you know. <laughs> And so, so how do you deal with that uh, element of things, that part of the controversy? Because not everybody agrees that AI should be used in the classroom. No, um, for sure. My daughter just joined us. But let me just say, Kalila, you were there in the audience, so you know exactly um, what happened. You heard that most teachers were roaring in, in just, the you know, two the young yeah, teachers were roaring, yeah, because the audience was mostly young teachers. Exactly. But the older ones kind of hesitant. Right, right. Here's the reality, Kalila. When there was the introduction of the calculator, there it was met with opposition. In fact, if we go back even further, um, when we had the introduction of cars, people were complaining that they should still continue to ride donkeys and horses, right? The reality is that we understand that there's some apprehension because of the uh, new technology and the novelty of it. Uh, but we, we and, and with that understanding, I mean, we can't let that stop us. Our purpose is really to innovate and to bring teachers as a part of that process. I must tell you, Kalila, that everything that we do, even now, and, and even as we embark on training AI, uh, we are involving a lot of teachers in this process. Young, old teachers, those teachers who are leaving the industry, we need their knowledge. And so I, I would say to any teacher watching this, young, old, mid-age, wherever you are, you have something to contribute to this because you leaving the system, your knowledge is so important for us to retain and to train that AI so that those who are going to use it have the most optimal view and, and knowledge that can be used in the system. So no apprehension is needed. Now, one thing I would say to you as well, that there's a worry that AI will facilitate cheating and so on, right? And I say to anyone who says that it will allow for teaching, uh, how about we perhaps use AI to build a plagiarism tool to detect uh, things that are being used from AI to cheat? So what I'm saying is if someone submits an essay, an essay uh, that is AI generated, AI could perhaps detect that, right? And yeah, so- Turnitin already does that. I saw exactly. launched that uh, a couple yeah. weeks ago. 
Exactly my point, right? So my, I, my, uh, my thinking is that the opportunities that are presented from AI, fr frankly, there are a lot of risks. There are a lot of ethical risks and so on, and safeguards has to be put in place to ensure that the power of this thing is contained. It has to be done in such a way where students are not using this Talila um, just to, to, for example, provide answers to questions, because that's not the way education should be done. Uh, what we see AI as is being almost like a co-pilot for a student. So if you're a student in my class, Khalil, and you're, you're having trouble with algebra, uh, a tool should be there to work you through the solution so that at the end of the day, you have a strong grasp of that information. And what it will allow teachers to do is to spend more time, as Dr. Anderson says, by focusing on higher order learning, which is encouraging students to learn what they have done, to use what they have learned, sorry, to create and creation is what is going to be the source of innovation in our economy. So that's how we are seeing things. Here's what I think. I think that if a student is bright enough to give ChatGPT the proper prompts to turn out a professional, well-done paper, I think students should get full marks because you have to know <laughs> the right things to input into the system to get the right things out. I just think this is where the world is right now. And I also think that if teachers participate in this ecosystem that we're building out, it enriches the environment to the point where the teachers can also assist students in learning how to leverage these technologies. Because we must admit that the working world, uh, the professional services will change and we don't want our students to be left behind and be doing things uh, the way it, it, it has been done for the, the, you know decades prior. And so we want to make sure that we enrich this environment so that they are on level playing field with all the learners in the world, so that we still produce le world-class learners who can participate in the future that is uh, ever much closer to us. Yeah, I remember when Google came out. Google came out when I was in high school. I was probably in third form when, that makes me sound so old to the young one. <laughs> I think third form when Google came out, it was a big deal. There was this very same debate happened back then as well. Oh, it's going to make us lazy. You can just go on the internet and search for anything you want. And you don't need to go to the library anymore. And these young students won't know how to do research anymore. It's the exact same argument that we had right. 20 years ago. All right, so we and have we a see... lot of comments. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, and we see that even if you try to use a regular Google search and you don't understand how to search and how to combine words to find what you want, then exactly. it's going to be very difficult. So there are certain skills that will still become, continue to be necessary. And we want to make sure that the best way to equip students with those skills are being used. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Kalila, I'll just add one last thing to that. And I say this, right? Uh, we, we cannot change if we remain the same. And I think that Jamaica and AI has presented an incredible opportunity to level the playing field because that knowledge that we used to say that is vested in these larger countries and so on, we now have access to it. And how we use it is going to determine what happens next. And we either we have two choices. We remain the same or we change and adjust, as Doc said. And that's what we're doing. We're building the technology that will drive the future of education within the region. All right, let me take some of the comments from the viewers because there are many. Like I told you, this is a controversial topic. And the very first comment is from Roger who says, I believe it will make us teachers and students lazy as hell. Raquel disagrees. Raquel says, technology does not make us lazy. 
Energy Point says teachers have to change their assessment methods. If students write a paper, for instance, they should test their knowledge on it orally through presentation and interview. Well, there's that too. Uh, someone else, Gamesley, says robot teachers. <laughs> so Ms. Marston don't leave with her brain, but we keep it. <laughs> Michael is saying good points. Roswell says if we only imagine what AI can do, these teachers won't be needed much or not at all. There will be no need to study and teach a class when AI can do more in information than human thinking can apply. Doc, let me hear you re respond to that one. I think I think if we have to evolve to that point, we, we need to evolve. Maybe our teachers can focus on other things like building citizenship and other skills, focus on mentoring and helping us to be able to, to do other things, build soft skills, which are so important um, for, for our 21st century learners. And so <clears throat> I think that we, we need to be open to an adjustment. Unfortunately, education has been almost the same way or done the same way for, 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 for thousands of years. This chalk and talk and the expectation that people will gather that information um, from somebody actively in front of them. We have to make sure that we enrich the environment and not wait like we usually do with other technologies to, 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 to adopt them into education. And so all we're doing here are, is that we're providing these tools, we're providing these technologies for teachers to be able to leverage so that they can decide at the end of the day how they use these, these technologies and students alike. But I think it's difficult if we don't have teachers engaged and using these technologies because the students are going to use them um, either way. That's true. They're going to use it either way. I'm sure they're already using it. Christopher says AI will make us more productive, more benefits than negatives. Uh, Tizofia says AI can teach the soft. I think she meant, or he meant to say, can teach, teach yeah. the soft skills. And then Raquel chiming in saying soft skills and social skills and networking as well. So the big story here, though, is that one-on-one -on -one is has an announcement. What next quarter? You said, Ricardo? Yeah, between within the next two quarters, I would say uh, very soon. I mean, we're we're doing a lot of work, Khalil, and I'm very excited about it. Dr. Anderson is leading an incredible team. We continue to expand that team, and we're going to be making some major announcement in the AI field. And you'll be very excited and scared, but excited mostly. Excited and scared. Yeah, I mean, the future, the future is amazing, Kalila. Look, here's what I would say, right? One-on-one, we, we, uh, -on -one, our investment pool, we have about a thousand teachers who are still shareholders in one-on-one. -on -one, and I'm especially ex you know, excited about the teachers because they're going to see um, how AI is going to help them be more productive so that they can get back their time that they can now spend on what they really love, which is seeing a student excel. So we're very excited about the teacher side the student side, and just education as a whole. All right. Well, NanoSense is on the same page as me. He wants, he said, let's talk about the money aspect of the business now. And that's exactly where I was headed because, all right, so for your six months, let me find them, let me find the exact numbers. The six months ending March 2023, I right. you're reporting right. $17.4 million in net profit for those six months compared to 8.9 million. So almost double the previous year. However, when we look at that quarter ending March, 2023, your profits are actually down. So what's going on? 
You know, Kalila, you know, our, our strategy at one-on-one -on -one coming into this year, our first year in IPO, it's been six months since IPO, has been very clear. Uh, it's really to lay the foundation that will allow us to scale the business. Um, we have done a lot of work in terms of recruitment and investing in our products, our systems, and our processes to ensure that we have a solid footing that we can scale on. And that has served us very well. Um, Kalila, if you realize uh, since last year, when you look at the year-on-year -year return, we, we, we're about 96% up on our revenue. And if you look at the expenses as well, we're actually earning uh, a greater margin uh, in terms of you know, keeping those expenses while scaling that revenue. So we've done a good job there. Since IPO, however, Kalila, we have increased our expenses naturally. Um, there's more costs relating to listing. Uh, we've also invested a lot in our people. So we have front-loaded a lot of the costs. What do I mean by front-loaded? Uh, you know, we're building a house. It's going to get very high, but we're spending a lot in making sure the foundation is solid. And so that is not yet being sustained by those strong revenues. But when those revenues come, we don't need to increase that cost a little because it's solid and it's there. So we're upfronting those costs, and therefore we're getting... Uh, uh, smaller profits now, but that is expected to grow at a higher rate than the expenses grow as the business move forward. Money aside, what have these six months since IPO been like at one-on-one? -on -one? Like, what has been the impact of that major activity for your business? So the IPO, since the IPO, it's been a whirlwind, I, I must be honest. Uh, we raised a total of $358 million. We ended up get, receiving... I would say about $250 million in actual cash when you take out the convertible notes and you take out the expenses relating to the IPO. But since then, Kalila, uh, you know, again, it's been for us investing in, in our management and, you know, working together to ensure that the promises that we made, uh, we actually uh, keep them, right? Uh, you know, we're big believers in that. In fact, in my presentation, I have a slide dedicated to what we promise and what we're doing. And it's something that, my team, both myself, Dr. Anderson, and everyone, we're committed to because we believe in being very transparent and ensuring that you know as we build what we're doing, where we're going, and how we will get there. I must be honest, Kalila, there's been some noise outside of the company that, you know, different persons have different perspectives. You know, a lot of persons have been suggesting that we do things a little differently, like, for example, go after short-term um, profits and opportunities, you know, to make things look good. But we're very focused on that medium to long-term strategy. And I would invite my shareholders to, to come along with me along that ride, right? Uh, we, we, could, we could have acquired a company, Kalila. We, we could have. We could have spent that money to do many things. But what we're investing in is the products that will shift us from a project company where we earn a lot of revenues from different projects to a recurring income earner that is predictable, that will build long-term sustainable profits for our shareholders. You know, as you said, you remind me of something I heard one of your colleagues say. It might have been Gordon, you know, Gordon Sway, somebody on Twitter, I, I believe a while ago, was talking about that. When you become a listed company, I think it was Lauren, actually, Lauren Peart. You become a yeah, listed learn. company, you now have to be concerned about living your life by learn. quarters. In three months. It was Lauren. Today's his birthday, by the way. Big up, Lauren. 
Yeah, man. Birthday to Lauren. Yes, <laughs> you end up living in or working in quarters because you have those quarterly reports and those reports are public and you are going to be scrutinized and everybody's going to have an opinion. What's that been like? And how do you respond to that kind of pressure now that it's public pressure? Uh, you know, it, it is, uh, here's what I would say. Uh, we accept that once we have shareholders in our company, we are ultimately responsible to ensure that we act in the best interest of our shareholders. And obviously, um, our board is kind of there to ensure that they guide us along a path and, and monitor and so on. Uh, as a management team, I can tell you that we're very focused on that. It is why the promise that we made, we're, we're, we're kind of working on keeping. But I can tell you that if we were to listen or even look at our stock price on a daily basis, up, down, and so on, we start running a stock market as opposed to running a company. We are running a company. And our view is very simple, Kalila. If we stick to our guns and ensure that we execute on our strategy that is well-established, which is, again, to grow one-on-one -on -one to a recurring revenue business dominating locally, regionally, and globally. Once we do that right, the results will come and thereby go back to shareholders in dividend income. And so we believe we're acting in the best interest of shareholders by sticking to our strategy, executing on that strategy, communicating progress, and ensure that we focus on those things. We cannot, Kalila focus on the, the short-term request for six months, announce this, that, that, make the stock run, and we're not into that. Uh, my team is not into that. We're laser-focused on the strategy, and I'm very excited about how the strategy is progressing. And I tell you this, Kalila, if in a year or 18 months from now, one-on-one -on -one has not grown significantly, I would have failed as the head of this company, and my management team would have failed our shareholders. And, and that is exactly the opposite of what's going to happen. We're going we're gonna to do extremely well. I'm very happy about the strategy and how we are executing it. Very focused. What's the projection? I'm sure you had one in your, um, in your prospectus. What's the projection for that time frame? Yeah, I mean, we, we gave a three-year three um, projection that saw us kind of doing about $200 million in net profits. Um, on about $600 million in revenue. So it was like a 30% uh, net, net, net uh, margin. So, so that's kind of where we see ourselves in three years. I must be honest with you, Kalila, with, the, with this uh, advancement in AI and all the things that are happening in the, behind the scenes, I must be honest with you that we may beat that because things are moving very fast. But you know, I, I want to temper the expectation a little to say that, listen, we're executing on our strategy um, this year, there, was a, there were a few delays in because of the IPO falling right at the end of our, or the start of our year, uh, which is in September. We had to push back a few of our projects, which has more or less uh, you know, dampened some of the revenues that are coming in for this year. But nevertheless, we're on a profitable path. We're being profitable, and we continue to grow um, quarter over quarter in terms of the, the balance sheet. We're investing a lot in our products. We're investing a lot in inventory, and there's a reason we're investing in, in inventory, Kalila. Keep focus on what's important. We're investing a lot in our products, a lot in our inventory, and there's a reason for that, because one-on-one -on -one will turn those inventory, those products, into revenues for the company, and you'll see exactly how we do that over the next two quarters.
Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that. You mentioned dividends not too long ago. Kish says, wow, one-on-one -on -one is doing well. When will they start paying dividends? Uh, <laughs> that's a very good question. You know, Kish, I tell you something. I personally, between me and my family, we own 23% of one-on-one. -on -one. There's nobody who is more interested in paying dividends than I am, right? But as I mentioned, Kish, right, um, my responsibility as CEO is to do the right things right. The company is just eight months out the block uh, from the IPO, and we're investing in our products to ensure that we can generate those recurring sustainable revenues. And then when we get to a, a position where, you know, we look in the bank, we have a 200, 300 million dollars, but at the same time, we have locked up, let's say, some long-term um, arrangements and so on. Then, you know, we can pay out dividends and we're comfortable. But right now, we're spending a lot of our money in the business. So I would say we're at least a year out away from that. So let's, let's keep focus on that. But certainly, um, you know, the, the, the earliest that we can do it, our interest in doing it is, is to pay dividends. Now, Kalila, one of the reasons why I'm very excited about paying dividends at, 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 you know, in the very near future is because of our teachers, you know. We have a 1,000 teachers in our shareholder pool. 10% of our shareholders are teachers. And so... I cannot wait until the day that I can send a dividend check to a Miss Johnson down at a school A or school B so that they can earn from what they're building. Because make no mistake, they're going to build AI at one-on-one. -on -one. Make no mistake, they're going to benefit from it. And make no mistake, they're going to benefit from our growth and development at one-on-one. -on -one. Yes, yes. I remember you did have a reserve pool for teachers. A couple more questions before we wrap. Nana Sen says, will one-on-one -on -one someday venture into Canada? I believe you guys would do well. And he also wants to know what portion of your income is generated overseas. Yeah, that's a very good question. I would say close to about 60% of our revenue is generated outside of Jamaica. So we, we earn mostly U.S. dollars. Um, there's a very small portion of our revenue that is earning Jamaican dollars, right? So we are you know, I like to term, we're, we're a Caribbean company, but there's a lot of work to do in the Caribbean, right? Um, now, Nana, Canada, listen, you, you should contact me directly. I'd love to hear about some of those opportunities, but let me, let me share this perspective with you. There's, there are a lot of problems to fix in, in education in Jamaica, in the Caribbean. There are a lot of companies globally that are fixing problems within their own jurisdiction. I believe that we're going to dance a yard before, before we dance abroad. And that's our focus, to dominate locally, to dominate regionally, and to grow the company to an international company. Now, Kalila, with this AI movement and the work that we've been doing over the years in AI, remember last year for the prospectus, we had Una explaining the prospectus to people. This was before chat GPT. Yes, yes, right. I and, and we built a, mat, a bot um, on, on Telegram using AI that explained math to people two years ago. This was before chat GPT. The work that we are doing will make us an international company much quicker than we initially thought. So Canada, US, we're, 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 we're focused on the Caribbean now, but nothing is off limits. But we're hyper-focused on fixing the problems that we have here because we have a very dominant position and we also have a very uh, connected environment that we think we can leverage to, to earn the revenues that we need to sustain the business um, going forward, regionally and locally. You guys are definitely ahead of, ahead of the curve, and that gives you a great advantage. I'm going to close out with a couple of comments from the viewers. Adrian says, 
Man, I love the vision and enthusiasm of Ricardo. Go on, put in the work. Proud shareholder here. Education and technology is the future. And then Lushand says, good look to buy one-on-one -on -one in this range and the fundamentals looking great. So thank you, Ricardo and Ricardo. Ricky squared, all of them. <laughs> and make sure you're both on the breaking money news when you have those big announcements coming out. We, we will tell you that. Before you go, just say hello to Una. She's on the screen right there. You saw her? Hi, Una. <laughs> Don't be surprised that she responded to you now. Bye-bye. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. All right. Sure. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So just before we go, for our viewers, we want you, of course, to take this week's poll. Let us know in the comments and on Twitter and in our YouTube community. What do you think? Let me find the poll question. Uh, where's the poll? Oh, it's down there. It's down there um, scrolling. Poll question. How do you feel about teachers and students using artificial intelligence in the classroom? Yes, very controversial question. How do you feel about teachers and students using AI in the classroom? A, teachers should be allowed, but not students. B, it will make them all lazy. C, great idea. Everyone should use tech. D, computers will take over the world. Or other, of course, leave a comment. And while you're at it, I want to remind you, if you haven't done it yet, hit the like button, guys. Give us that little thumbs up on YouTube or Facebook. Up next, we've got your market recap, and the analysts are standing by. This segment of Taking Stock was brought to you by Bulwark Insurance Agency, insurance made easy. Hey, moneymakers, join the KRM fam with our official merch. Get it now at KhalilaReynolds.com. Let's get this money. The JC Combined Index lost over 2,000 points or 1% last week. 120 stocks traded across the main and junior markets for the week ending Friday, April 21, 2023. 59 made gains, 49 lost value, and 12 stayed the same. 100 million shares changed hands on the Jamaican dollar market, valued at $522 million. Trans-Jamaican Highway was the week's most traded stock. It took up 20% of market volume with 21 million shares trading. The stock opened Monday at $1.74. Wigton traded the second highest. The stock opened this week at 77 cents. And Stanley Motor rounded out last week's most traded with 9 million shares changing hands. The stock gained 15 cents to open Monday at $5.35. Now let's see who had the biggest gains for the week. Cygnus Real Estate Finance USD was the week's biggest gainer. The stock was up 51% to open Monday at 11 cents US. CAC 2000 was the second biggest gainer. It went up almost 26% to start the new week at $7.77. And Epley 7.75% preference shares was up 23% to open the week at $20.02. On the losing side now, JMMB Group 7% VRJMDCR preference shares was last week's biggest loser down almost 24%. The stock opened Monday at $1.93. Massey fell almost 15% to open the new week at $85. And Cygnus Real Estate Financial JMD fell 14%, closing the week at $10. 
Over on the Trinidad and Tobago Stock Exchange, the composite was mostly flat last week. National Enterprises was the most traded stock. It opened this week at $3.74 TT. Port Lisa's industrial port development was the market's biggest gainer, up 12%, to open this week at $4.30 TT. And on the losing side, LJ Williams fell 5.5% to open Monday at $2.40 TT. It was a relatively stable week over in the U.S., with the Dow Jones, S&P 500, and the Nasdaq all losing less than half a percent. At the pumps, the price of 87 gas fell 25 cents last week, while 90 dipped 82 cents. Diesel prices, on the other hand, fell $4.50. In foreign exchange, it took an average $153.85 Jamaican to purchase one U.S. dollar last Friday. That's 54 cents more than a week before. Meanwhile, it took an average $118.94 Jamaican to purchase one Canadian dollar. One British pound cost an average $191.72 Jamaican. And you could buy one euro for $171.98 Jamaican on average. Finally, on the crypto markets, Bitcoin prices fell 4% over the past five days, with the cryptocurrency trading at $27,680 on Monday. Ethereum also fell 4%, trading at $1,865 on Monday. This segment of Taking Stock, the Analyst, is brought to you by JMMB Group, your best interest at heart, and Profit Jumpstarter. Disclaimer. This is not intended as financial advice. Please consult a licensed financial advisor before making investment decisions. All right. Welcome back. Before we head on into the analyst, let me see some of your responses to our question, our poll question about who should be allowed to use AI in the classroom. A lot of you guys saying C. So the question was, should artificial intelligence be allowed in the classroom? How do you feel about teachers and students using AI in the classroom? A, teachers should be allowed, but not students. B, it will make them all lazy, so none of them should be allowed. C, great idea, everyone should use tech. D, computers will take over the world. E, other. A lot of people saying C, great idea, everyone should use tech. So Russell saying C, Pauline says C, Country Girl says C, uh, OG says our students will more than likely teach the teachers a few lessons. Kish says A, what was A again? I think A was teachers, but not students. Yeah, uh, what else we have? And God, God himself, wrote an article in 2019, why Jamaica urgently needs a minister of artificial intelligence. He says, when I spoke about the platform I established for AI in Jamaican schools, and then just a few more comments, NanoSense was celebrating 60% of revenue generated overseas by one-on-one, OG saying forward thinking indeed, and Philip says, keep on, keeping on, Ricardo and team. Now let's introduce our analyst panel for the evening. I'm joined by investment research and sovereign risk analyst at JMMB, Leovani Dillon, and CEO of Profit Jumpstarter, Keisha Hi. Bailey. Welcome, Leo. Welcome, Keisha. Hey, hey. Good night, good night. Night, 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 night. Congrats on your award. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, it's just before just before the show started, I was like, I should have brought my award and I had it like on the desk <laughs> during the show. 
I'll go to the next show. Go to the next show with the award and the desk. Like everybody. Yeah. yeah. I like your logo in the corner there, uh, Keisha. Profit jump starter. It's on the oh, oh up on top the there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Up top. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, couple things to talk about this week. Leo, you've been analyzing Nutsford Express's reports. Their unaudited financial statements for the third quarter ended February 28, 2023. That's out. How is Nutsford doing? Yeah, man. Um, so Nutsford came out with their numbers um, for the, the third quarter, ended February 23. It's good. Um, so let me just share my screen here for a second so you can see what's going on here. So, um, you know, quick look on the income statement. You can see that revenue is up. That's looking good. That's 53% up and net profit is up and that's 84% up, right? So what you're seeing here, this is basically the highest Q3 for them. So, you know, you go back before COVID and all of that, they're, they're doing very well. So that's a good number, right? You're moving on here and you take a quick look on the, in, um, the, the cash flow statement. And what you're seeing is that the operating cash flow from operating activities that's also strong um so that's up 56 percent and then you can see that they spend a lot of money um in investing activities now the primary you can see that's an outflow of um 276 million the primary outflow there was the, them um, setting aside some investments which is like 200 plus million so that's good um and of course if you look in the balance sheet you'll see it where their um, near-term short-term investments are is up um, and, and that's where that's going to. So that's good for them too. So it's actually increasing um, the liquidity for the company. So that's good. Um, so if you take a quick look here now, moving on to the stock performance. So year to date, we can see that the stock is up good. So you can see it's up 24.7. And that's especially good if you look at it compared to the overall junior market, which is actually down about 7% for the year. Um, so they're doing fairly good. And if you zoom out here a bit, you can see that a lot of that performance came in January when the stock was up about um, well, 40.5%, basically. So a lot of that performance that you're seeing really came in, in January 2023. Um, good year for them so far. You know, three years now. Well, they're on pace now for a third year of good performance um, overall. So that's good for them, right? Now, moving on, and you're looking at another way of looking at this now, line graph, you can see that the stock has been doing fairly well, not back up to the highs that we saw here. However, it is still, you know, performing well, you know, kind of, kind of an uptrend you see happening along here, right? So that's good. Um, nowhere near the 16s, but still, you know, at a good level. So you see no performance, right? Now, you look at the trading activity, you can see increased interest coming into it. So you can see where interest in the stock was very low in 2021, 2022, and you can see it picking up here. Again, not near the 2018 levels, but you can see increased interest here in terms of the amount of um, volume and value trading and stuff in terms of actual activity. So that's also looking good. Um, and then finally, quick look on the valuation. So the price to book ratio on this one is currently at about 5.7. Um, and you look on that over multiple time spans, and you can see it's fairly in line with like the, the, the three-year average and the one-year average and a little bit below the five-year average for the company. So all in all, um, good numbers. Um, the response in the market um, has been decent, at least when you look at it on a, on a year to date um, stats. The company has been doing a lot um, in terms of, you know, they built, they built up the drug sale, 
um, facility property there that's doing well for them. Um, tourism back in now because you know the shutdown had, had hurt them a bit. Well, actually hurt them significantly, but they're back out from that. They're doing better than ever. Um, so they set, they're setting up pretty well in terms of the actual performance of the company. It, it's good. It's solid. Interesting. Wow. So would you say they've recovered from you know that big dip that we saw in COVID? Yeah, Moon. So if you look on their numbers, you can see that. So even if you go back to Q2 20, um, February 20, February 2022, um, that quarter was, was, was good relative to even pre-COVID numbers, but then this quarter is just a next level. Um, so they've, they've been recovering um, steadily and have shown consistent. So it's not, you know, like a one quarter that's good and then that's it. I mean, they've consistently shown that improvement for a while now. So they're clearly past that. Um, uh, they're, you know, the different business lines are, are back. You know, the courier services, the the K Connect, all of that is doing um, fairly well for them. So, yeah, and you see interest in the stock is coming back um, when you look at the activity in the stock. So yeah, that is interesting. Lavar says, mm. was anyone aware Nutsford Express takes seven to twenty-eight days to ship a package from the U.S. to Jamaica? A simple Amazon purchase taking one month for delivery. I didn't even know they offered that service. I thought Nutsford was for just local transportation. I didn't know that they also ship from the U.S. to Jamaica. That's one of their revenue streams. Um, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the thing is, um, it, it, they, they do a lot of logistics. Um, it is a part of it. I'm not so sure how big a part of it it is. And the nature of it, um, in terms of, in terms of how much of a, how much how much that contributes to their revenue. So I know the local transport and the local courier service is the bulk of it. I, I would have to check and see exactly how much that contributes to it, um, because yeah, I have to check because I'm not familiar. I don't think that's a significant part of their revenue. I guess the so, advantage because Lavar, hmm. who is a regular viewer of the show, lives in Mandeville. <clears throat> And so the advantage would be that it would, once it comes to Jamaica, usually it comes Kingston and then Nutsford takes it directly to your town, wherever they are. So the advantage of using Nutsford like that would be, especially if you live outside of Kingston, that would be my guess. I don't know. I, I didn't know they offered that service. Oh, All yeah, right. okay. I'd have to look into it because to be honest, the, the, okay. Your audio chipped out, Leo. You're muted. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, I'm saying um, I'd have to look into it because that lag seems very significant in terms of the time that it takes to deliver. That seems significant. So I'll have to look into that. Um, so probably next time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Keisha, let's bring you in. You're always, you always have your eye on what's going on overseas. And this week you are looking at home sales, house sales. So homes in the U.S., sales of homes in the U.S. fell in March. And there's been volatility in mortgage rates. What's going on there? So uh, we're feeling it all across the globe where interest rates are going higher. I mean, it's happening in Jamaica, Canada, U.S., um, U.K. Interest rates have been going up because the central banks have been increasing rates. One of the key rates that gets affected from higher interest rates is mortgage rates. And for a lot of persons in the U.S. and internationally, and even in Jamaica, your mortgage rates are variable. So as regular interest rates go up, mortgage rates will follow as well. And when mortgage rates go up, your payments go up, right? So people feel it now with the month-to-month -month mortgage payments being higher. 
Plus, if you're going to buy a new home or a second home, a third home, a fourth home, it becomes more expensive to get the financing to buy that home. So that impacts the demand for the home sales. And we've been seeing in the U.S. where sales have fallen a little bit, not a lot, just 2%, small amount. But still, it's because of mortgage rates and persons are trying to find, you know, different ways of still getting real estate exposure, possibly through probably the stock market instead of physically buying homes. The thing, however, is that the fall in home sales could be more. Why it's only 2% is because there's also limited supply because it's also more expensive to build houses. And so there haven't been as many developments that we're seeing in the U.S. going up. So the key thing here is that, you know, slight pullback in home prices in the U.S., because of mortgage rates, but still lots of opportunity because the prices didn't fall as much, for example, as we've seen in the stock market of late, where the prices have come down there even more. So though real estate prices have fallen, it's still less than stock prices have fallen there. So still a better hold up in terms of investment performance. Did you see this announcement? It was reported by Fox News. I have to take it with a grain of salt as <laughs> to the, the angle that they're taking. But this announcement that from President Biden saying that if you have good credit, you are basically going to be penalized and you're going to have an extra fee tacked onto your mortgage payment. And if you have bad credit, you're going to get a discount. Yeah, they're, they're trying to make home um, housing more affordable, right? So bringing in persons who traditionally can buy, because you think even, you know, the generation coming up, you know, 18, 19, 20 year olds, it's very expensive. A lot of them probably will not be able to buy a home just based on where home prices are now. And the deposit, the interest rates, all of that, it makes it way more expensive for persons just coming in. So I know in the US and in a lot of other countries as well, they're trying to make buying homes more affordable so they're tackling the interest rate they're tackling the specific rates you get when you're a first time home buyer some incentives are there it's all to make it more affordable because really and truly i mean even some persons in their 30s 40s can ever buy their first home much less the, the persons younger who are coming up it's even harder for them or they're going to save that deposit when you know all this volatility happening now with investments or they're gonna you know put together the funds to buy that house or are they going to qualify for mortgages so what the u.s government is doing like other governments is trying to make housing more affordable for the first time buyers not for the you know the fifth or sixth time buyers but those just coming in or those who are struggling with credit how do we make housing more affordable but is it fair to penalize those who have paid their bills on time they have good credit they have done things the right way uh yeah that, that's the thing right. with a penalty is it penalizing really though or is it you know let's limit how much more you can get so that others can catch up no right? well and the article i read that, that they're going to pay an extra fee i think it amounts to like 40 dollars extra per month on your mortgage payment but well and yeah if we see the, the full context of it just to, to see but i mean if they're using it for rental properties for example maybe it's just you know passing on that rent the other person which defeats the whole purpose of doing it um, in terms of making housing more affordable but yeah i mean there are different approaches you, you can look on both sides of it uh, leo i don't know if you've been following that particular argument but what do you think about that in the jamaican mm -hmm. context 
like making housing more affordable. Um, do you think something like that could work here? Um, I mean, go ahead. All right. So that particular policy, I mean, I don't think it's, well, I personally don't think it's necessarily the best way to go about it. Um, because all right, so, so, so affordable housing, there's a two-part component. So yes, there's a market component, meaning that person's kind of being outbid, but there's also a base cost. So meaning even if, you know, there's just a cost to bid it. So remember, you have to you have to buy the, 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 the materials, you have to pay the workers. And remember with inflation, for example, everything goes up. The cost of the materials, the cost of the labor, everything goes up, right? So because of that, there's a base cost to build housing. So regardless of where you build it, there's almost a base cost. Now, clearly, when you as you move more into like you know Kingston and the, you know the Golden Triangle or whatever, then you'd get you know higher costs being more associated with the land prices, right? But still, there's a base cost. So that's one component um, that you can't really do much about. Now, when it comes to persons accessing it, I mean, I think there's a lot of you know things available, whether it be you know the different NHD things. It's so you reset it, increase. The minimum that each individual can get, you know, couples coming together of the intergenerational mortgage. I mean, I think those policies will go a long way um, to assist. But it is a tricky issue, you know, because remember, you know, we, we, even when you're doing it too, and you have to be careful because if you do it a particular way, it can actually just drive up the prices overall. So you have to do it in a way that allows persons that might not be able to um, access access it under regular circumstances. You can help them without, you know driving up all the price for everybody at the same time. I don't know if you, if you understand exactly what I'm saying. So for example, when it, if they increase the, hello? Yeah, 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 I'm hearing you. You hear me? Oh, yeah, man. So I'm not sure, for example, if, depending on the way you do it. So for example, if you increase it in such a way that everybody has access to it off the top, right? Regardless of income, whatever, then you, you might run into a situation that persons, you know, with a high income, you just increase their purchasing power so they just bid up the prices again. But if you do it in such a way that it's available mostly to the masses, um, you know, persons, you know, you know, middle income up, but you don't, you know, you contain it that way. So that that way you have persons that would be considered, you know, lower income, middle income, they're able to access it. But then persons in the more upper income, they're not able to access it. It kind of contain the prices that way. So it's it's it's, it's not it's it's it seems easy when it comes to a lot of these things, um, to just, you know, just to to do the changes and it works out. But when you look on what the impact is on the ground sometimes, there's a lot of you know factors, interlinking factors are played that can make it a lot more complex than you would think. As in I just looking at it and say, oh, that's a simple solution, just give them more money. But then if you give them more money, they drive up the price of everything, which is kind of, you know, like what person says, part of the reason, at least partially to explain what we're seeing with the inflation in the US and so it's because they did that massive um, spending bill coming out of COVID, which is actually drive inflation because everybody got money. So then that helped drive the inflation. So you have to really, you know, tailor the solutions when you look at these things, or you can have unintended consequences if you, you know, right. can So mm -hmm. Luki, Luki online is chiming in saying it's a 1% fee if you have good credit. But like you, I'm wondering why are they tying it to credit though? Because you have low income people who have good credit. And I'm going to say these people have to pay this extra 1% fee just because they have good credit. It makes more sense to me to tie it to income. So low income, like you were just saying, Leo, yeah. low income, middle income mm -hmm. people 
may be able to get yeah. that benefit and then higher income people pay the extra 1% fee as opposed to tying it to credit. I, I'm confused as to why they decided to. Yeah, yeah. they are just doing a yeah. basic relationship. person struggle with credit, which may not be true, right? So that, that may be an assumption. Yeah. yeah, that's not yeah. necessarily accurate. Because uh, yeah, so if, if you remember, so this the, the tying to income is exactly what they just did with NHT. Um, if you recall, in the last budget presentation in March, they have raised the NHT rates for people who earn, I think it's six million dollars or more per year. Your your NHT rate will now be six percent. So if it was five percent, you're not going to have to pay six percent on your NHT loan for higher income people. And then lower income people have different bands as well, going as low as even 0% for, for some people. Yeah. You're going to add something, yeah. Leo? Because, yeah, I'm uh, sorry, uh, sorry. Yeah, I was just saying that when you do it that way, it helps with targeting um, the response um, a little bit better. Um, as, it, as in regards to what you said, though, with the, with the credit, well, I don't know, but it could be that they're looking at data that shows a correlation, like a strong correlation between credit score and wealth. So in general, they might realize that, hey, if you have very good credit score, chances are you're wealthy. And that's the reason why they do it that way. Um, but again, it might not be a perfect solution. Though. Yeah. yeah, that's something I should look into. I should do a little video on that. Uh, a few final comments from the viewers. Lashan says, I bet all those high credit persons now are going to get lower credit. That's <laughs> what no, so I was wondering. Yeah. No incentive bills on time to get lower yeah. credit. Roswell says, I'm sure if I have good savings, the bank won't be concerned about my credit score as they'll be the first to call me even when I don't need their business. And then Royston says, what about self-employed trying to get NHT loans? Self-employed people can still get NHT loans. You just have... It's like just a little bit more complicated because now you have to provide like all your bank statements and proof of income and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys. Thank you so much, Leo. Bye. Thank you, Tisha. Great input as usual. Bye. And I'll see you again soon. We're going to take a quick break and come back with final comments. This segment of Taking Stock, The Analyst, was brought to you by JMMB Group, your best interest at heart, and Profit Jumpstarter. All right, so final comments, Nagash. So on our earlier conversation, this was on AI in schools. Nagash says, I remember when art school teachers were afraid that Adobe Photoshop, etc., was going to make traditional artists obsolete. I still see artists out here making art traditionally. That is so true. So you had Photoshop. Now you have um, Mid Journey and all these other AI technologies coming out that makes it so much easier. But you still have to have the artist's brain to tell it what to do and to know how you want it to look, how you want it to come out. And I think the same applies for writing, for research. You still have to know what you want the outcome to be and know how to get it to give you that outcome. Reynaldo, in response to the poll, says, D, because I'm undecided, our poll was asking you whether you think AI or what you think about AI uh, being used by teachers and students in schools. 
Ronaldo says he he don't even know at this point. Uh, Roger says Nutsford does shipping. I know they send packages across the island using their locations, etc. Yes, logistics and strongly querying what's the U.S. inflation right U.S. inflation like right now. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but as Chat GPT. <laughs> Struggling as chat GPT was US inflation right now and what are the implications? Give it that prompt and let's see what, what chat GPT spits out for you this week. It was another great show. Thanks for watching. If you haven't liked the video yet, give us a thumbs up on YouTube and on Facebook. Subscribe to the channel, share with a friend, subscribe to the newsletter at kalilaranals.com slash newsletter. The link is right there in the description below. And you get a bunch of goodies. When you subscribe to that newsletter, you get our broker guide for free. You get our best credit cards document for free. A lot of people have been asking about that. And there's one other thing. I know there's three things that come in the initial subscriber email. Like when you just subscribe, you get an email with a few free things. So head on over to kalilaranos.com newsletter. Click the link below and you can get those. Also, if you're on YouTube, you have the option to turn on post notifications. So there's a little bell somewhere down there. Click it and you can get notifications. So you can be the first to see everything when it comes out because you want to help people learn more about money so we can all get money together. I do not gatekeep the things I know about money or the things I hear or the things that are in the news. I love to share it with all of you. And speaking of sharing, I want to thank the Flair Magazine and the Gleaner for my distinguished award for business. This was such a big deal, guys. Like, I, this is the very first award that I've won for business, like not for journalism, not for social media, not for school, but a, an award as a business leader. Like, wow, little me. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that one. And tomorrow, Wednesday, you're going to be hearing another announcement regarding something like that. On Friday as well, we are participating in the finals of Pitch Deck, the Pitch Deck competition, where KRM is a finalist in that competition. Their finals were, are being held in three parts, two already gone. So we are in the final stage, the final part of the finals. We're like second to last, I believe. So... Yeah, wish us all the best. Wish us luck in the pitch deck competition. We are vying for some money to grow this business and to bring you more awesome content. Now, we know the, um, the honors. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Kalila Ray. And follow KRM underscore business news on Instagram. Remember, those are my only accounts. I do not have any backup accounts. No need for you to send me screenshots. This you? No, it's not. This you? No, it's not. I only have the one account, guys. And if you want to connect with the analysts this week, just check the description box below for their contact information. And of course, visit the main website, kalilarunnels.com, for financial information you can use however you like it. You can watch, you can listen to the podcast, or you can read. And we're on all podcast platforms, by the way. We're on Apple Music. We're on Spotify. We're on Amazon. Is it? No, Audible. 
I even remember on all of them, a bunch of them. Now tell a friend about taking stock because investing is the new sexy. Let's make it cool to talk about money. I'm Khalila Reynolds. Thanks for watching and see you again next week. Let's get this money. <laughs> <laughs>